This is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 274. Yeah, it, it's it's great that even so far from each, like the scheduling works well, right? This is what I was planning to do at some point with um, Adam. So being able to do the, the book club with him, like it's nice to have a back and forth between, Yeah. you know, it's cool. And you're going to, it's going to be, um, what's the word? Going to have a, div- a diversity of stuff that we can tackle, even getting into like minutia. That's the fun. The yeah. Book. Yeah, it's nice. That's, that's the bits he's like, you know, it, it was interesting to listen to, <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know whether, no, I don't know whether you want to record this bit or not, but, um, it's recording, but we can, oh, it is recording. It's recording. Um, it was interesting to hear the, the, the take on the Gwen Stacy story and how it played out at the end. And what if it was different? What if it, what if it was done differently or there's less dialogue? And it's like, and, and I, I thought it's an interesting idea to lose some of the, the dialogue from it if he went quiet but to me that's not real and what i like about what i like about that story is as fantastical as all as the green goblin versus spider-man is with its primary colors and its cackling villain that ending is so harsh and him reacting to it like a real person i think that really makes it that's the shock it's not just that it happens; it's that his reaction is very real. Yeah, and him, him, you know, that silence, that void of something like that happens. That you you, you fill it with noise because you want someone to respond. And I was thinking, no, you know, it's interesting to hear it back, but like it's that bit. I think it's better that he talks because that makes him more real. Yeah, both both of them are are very would be very effective and i think that's um a telltale sign of the storytelling all around when when all of it works well you can either just have words on the page and it lets you know everything that you could feel with just a simple sketch and then when you take them away you still get everything that happened because that's how i mean for me if i was reading comics today as a kid i don't know if i would understand as much of what goes on as right. I did when I was younger. Well, they were designed really, weren't they? Back then to, to work without words just as well. Yeah. Um, I think that was a uh, Jim Shooter was one person that definitely that was a Jack Kirby's, but there were a few people that, that would, that would say like, they need to work without just as well without words. Um, which is, you know, it's a nice idea and it, like it, it helps ease you in to reading, which is great. Just reading as a whole, which is really, really cool. Because um, <laughs> that's what worked for me. Yeah. That's what got me in. Yeah. And now I can't stop. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I find myself sometimes being, if I, if I don't enjoy, I'm not sure which one trumps the other. If, if the words and the story work, I can maybe overlook the art or a hang-up that I may have had with the art. 
Like if a story is writ is well written and it's a great story, and I don't particularly like the art going in, I might feel differently at the end because the story was so good. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah, know if I that would that work the other way around. I don't know if that holds up the other way around. It can. It depends just how goddamn pretty it is. Right. That's that's what I mean. But it's got to be really pretty. A friend of mine said this when I said like I said a similar thing to her. And she's she's never read any comics. And she said, oh, I just thought it was all about the art. Uh, so I, that's the equivalent yeah. of saying, not to dismiss what you're saying, you know, it's interesting that's your view kind of looking in, but it's the equivalent of going, I just go to the cinema to watch the explosions. Right. You, there's got to be more, <clears throat> or else we get bored. Yeah. It's- well, some people don't. Some people are quite happy with explosions. <laughs> some people watch whatever it is need to speak. What's that thing called? Furious... Five, and, whatever furious, it is. Yeah. and are quite happy and yeah. that's fine um, it's not for me I like, I like a bit of spicy dialogue yeah yeah you want something clever you want something that when you go back and, and see it again or hear it again or read it again it speaks to you different yeah because I feel there's the really really good movies require you to watch it repeated viewings what have you watched the most what's your most watched film Back to the Future, for sure. How, do you know how many times you've seen him? No idea, but to the point where if if somebody were to say dialogue from the movie, I would be able to tell you which is the right one and which is the wrong one. Okay. Because I, I almost hear the movie like a song. Wow. I, it was the first thing I memorized as a kid. Like I was three years old and I had dialogue memorized from it because I just, I'm not sure why. Like it, it holds up. I and I didn't fully understand the movie when I was that old to be to understand how the time travel and this and that and okay. I, I was piecing it together bit by bit, but I just liked the interaction. I liked him on the skateboard. I liked him. Yeah. You know. Does does his mom know that that's him? I don't know. I don't care. But he protects her. Like I get, I understood that it was important for his parents to be happy at the end. Like those portions of the story, I I got it. And then as I understood what the tricks of the movie, the MacGuffin and all that, I'm like, man, that's really cool. Uh-huh. And then the sequels and the whole little universe you get. Like there wasn't much like that yet. In a, in no, movies. That's true. That's the thing, like, trilogies were a real... I mean, you know, mainstream cinema were quite rare. I think you kind of got them in... I could be wrong. When was, like, tra- when were trauma films? All that kind of thing where they didn't have, like, Toxic Avenger 3 or whatever it is, you know. I, I suppose they kind of went towards that with Robocop and stuff towards the end, of the, but that was kind of 80s, 90s. But, yeah, generally in the 80s, you didn't. Star Wars was one of the first. Obviously, you had them a lot with the Star Trek films, Jaws. So I see horror films, actually. You had it with Jaws, Star Wars. I think the first, I think, don't quote me, the first movie that had a sequel, I think, was Rocky. Was it? I could be wrong. Was it really? I'm not sure why that comes to mind. But I feel like I've, um, I've heard that somewhere, and I was shocked that that was the first movie that had warranted a part two. And I, w- I could have sworn it was, like, Superman had four. Yeah, are you sure it wasn't Superman? No, because Rocky was an early 70s movie. Was it? I think so. 
or maybe not early. Again, don't quote me. But it was in the 70s. So, and then it just became blockbusters like the Rambo's and, but something like oh, yeah, a back to something like a Back to the Future that was, a, like the movie. Every scene you see in it is is continuous. There isn't like years in between from one movie to the other where something changed. Remember last yeah. year? Like it wasn't like remember what happened last year when they came? It wasn't like that. This yeah. was all one week's worth, two weeks worth of storytelling. That's what yeah, that's the literal true. movie was, and you followed it, it in kind of right time. through. Yeah, so it was. It made me appreciate comic book continuity. Like I, it made sense that Bob Gale was a comic book fan, and he became a writer. Of course, fan, yeah, right. And Kevin Feige said that he took from Back to the Future and how he made the MCU. Really, he said that when he went to watch the. Third movie, or the second yeah. movie, they had it was one of the first post-credit scenes that let you know that another movie's coming. So at the end of, of Back to the Future Part Two, they showed because they were being filmed in tandem. Yes, they so were. you saw the western, you saw the next movie, you did. and um, because of that, I, he said that was an inspiration of the post-credit scenes in the Marvel movies. Oh, I just figured it was because like a final page because they're essentially a final page bit aren't they i just kind of thought like because of the way films work the final page wouldn't work in that way so they went we'll stick the final page after the credits right but that makes more sense though. yeah no it was it's it's funny when you feel the connection like something reminds me of something and then when it they they share it it's like of course yeah so when they did endgame i don't know if you've seen endgame that's but, the last one I think I saw. But I said they're going to do Back to the Future, where they go into the first movie. Okay, wasn't the last. Yeah, it was. Yeah. was the last one I saw. So it's yeah. As soon as they went into the first movie and saw themselves, I immediately said he he. That's the homage. That's the influence. Yeah. Uh huh. I said I get it. That's cool, and it works with this sort of thing. It works. That's neat. It was quite a feat to make a movie universe kind of come together in the same way the comics did. Yeah. Are we talking about Back to the Future here? Or the... No, well, no, no, I'm talking <laughs> about Marvel Universe just because there's 21 of them. And, and you don't, like, not all of them. Well, up until the, up until Endgame, there's more now. I suppose. I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> I can get a message. Spider-Man with it. it. It might well be. It's it's available to watch now, and I just uh, I wanted to watch Turning Red. That was <laughs> I was more interested in watching the new Pixar film than I was. Oh, I don't know Spider-Man. that one. What have you What have you been reading lately? Oh man, I've basically made so much time to catch up. So I finished the entirety of Witchfinder, which was the it's the Sir Edward Grey, the paranormal investigator from Hellboy, okay. the, the universe of Hellboy. Uh, from the late 1800s it's it and so he, he works for queen victoria um and you kind of know towards the end semi-spoilers that it's it's gonna somehow involve jack the ripper because it's that kind of time period and there's all that mythology around there and you know it's inevitably goes away but they hand it quite subtly but it's such a good it's such a good fun read 
I loved it because I wanted that hit that I got from Baltimore. Mm. And it, yeah, it scratches that itch. And, and then I'm trying to finish, I'm still finishing um, Justice League Dark. It's gone to the J.M. DeMatteis issues. And yeah, they're not, they're not his best stuff and it's not the, the strongest part of the series. Mm. But it's been... It's been a that's been an interesting read as well. It sounds like genuine greatness. Well, I, oh, I read um, Jonathan Hickman's Shield in its entirety. So that was the semi-spin-off of Secret Warriors that reveals the origin of Shield, okay. or says it will, and then it kind of. Ah. <laughs> and Leonardo da Vinci's involved in it, and there's time travel and. Oh, okay. But it's funny because like he wrote the last two issues with about a seven year gap. So series two is a six issue mini, and he wrote one to four, and then it just stopped. And then he wrote the last two issues about seven years later, oh. or at least they were released about seven years later. Oh. I don't know if he wrote them or tweaked them or whatever. But the last two issues are more like the current stuff that he does. Mm. So it's going really well, and then it goes craziness yeah like this doesn't really make any sense but isn't it cool not really no no yeah. it's not and no. for somebody he's blown their mind someone will go i totally understand that yeah everyone look how smart i am it's funny um, i i just got the fantastic four uh volume one from hickman and here i like i always kind of shit on him but it, it he's got some great stuff too like there's some yeah. stuff that's like yeah that's, that's like when he's good he's it's just amazing. Like, like Secret Warriors was brilliant. Fantastic Four was brilliant. And then you've got X Men. <laughs> so, uh, East of West, though, I thought was good. And it was only when I read it a second time and kind of picked it apart a bit and went, oh. So, as long as you don't think about it too much. Yeah, I couldn't get into that cool. one. I don't know why. I don't know if that would change now. I Maybe reading it different. I just couldn't. I don't know what you're trying to tell me here. How? Who? What? What? I couldn't get it. I don't know why. No. It just wasn't clicking. No. Um. But yeah, speaking of the other Hickman, I'm I'm reading uh, Scott Snyder Batman. I feel like they're, yeah. they're they're kind of one guy's trying to follow the other guy. That's how I feel. Do you think? Well, after reading uh the Scott Snyder Justice League. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot of similarity there. He actually said in an in an interview with uh, was it Word Balloon, John Suntress, that one. He had actually said that uh, he was kind of doing a version of that. If I'm not mistaken, what he was doing a version of Hickman's Avengers, like what how big he made the the Avengers, the, you know, the Illuminati and like the converging universes. Yeah. Like he's like I was doing that in DC. And it was obvious, like it just okay. We I get I've seen this before, and the, again the artwork was pretty enough for me to keep. Let me see this. It's it's good enough for me to keep going, and I like the Justice League. You know, I'm I'm convincing I myself love the Legion to of it. Doom. Pardon? I just I wanted to get in on that because of the Legion of Doom. Yeah, I love yeah. the idea of the Legion of Doom, and but I just couldn't it, it's, get through it because it's just it doesn't this doesn't make any sense. Exactly, and I I don't mind that because I'm a fan of Starlin stuff, right? I I like that sort of. I'll get maybe I'll get it at the end, like when I read Final Threat. I'm like, whoa, yeah, that's it, right? Did you finish it? I did. did. You finish Final Threat? Oh man, oh man. 
What did you think though? The two it was a two parter. I couldn't read the second one. You didn't you didn't read the second one still at all? I, I I like I skimmed through it, got to the end, saw what happens, right? But I said I can't after that first issue uh, it does there's nothing it felt out of place. You went I from you a cave. Pardon? I thought you might cave and read it. No. Why? Is there something I'm missing that... No, I was just curious to see what you thought of it because, like, for me, it's very much... It's almost like two completely different styles. If I I was told that two different people had written it, I'd believe it. Yeah. And it, it, it just... It felt so kind of jarring. Like, I saw that the story continued and I thought it was cool that he found a way to do that. Like, I respected that. But the from the Avengers and that it was like celestial that fight and and the the time loop moment it was brilliant it was like oh man this is good what a way to yeah. end it done and then with with him and Pip and Gamora and they go into the stone and you're just like Mwah. the end the end <laughs> perfect and to later read cuz it's funny when you read stuff like like myself, sorry, I'm talking too much, but <laughs> when you read stuff that has been around for so long and now that it's collected, you can you're reading things in different orders. Yeah. Right? Especially doing it for the first time, all this retro stuff. Like I'm thirty eight years old, thirty seven years old reading Secret Wars for the first time. The original Secret Wars, which is people's childhood. Yeah, and I'm reading it with all of this um, other knowledge, basically baggage, right? Like I'm going yeah. in there like this is dumb, all that's dumb, but I I still try to transport myself, and I can appreciate later. It's like, man, this guy read this and used that. That's cool. Like that makes this story special, even though it's made to sell toys. Yeah, it's legitimate. They've legitimized yeah. this thing, and that guy who used it later kudos to him for making it you know better than what it was left with do you know what i mean does that make no. sense so it's like it's like it's like when it's like when someone may take an idea that was just there and they expand on it kind of like jeff yeah. johns with green lantern so he takes okay. the color spectrum and he takes the, the the yellow lantern of why they can't use yellow and then he makes it this whole tapestry of of infinite stories you can tell now and you just took it from this weird thing that didn't make sense why yellow like why didn't the ring like it's so silly and you turned it into one of the coolest comic book stories so when someone can do something like that it makes you i don't know you'll you'll read later on like the way that they took this the the um symbiote Right from Secret Wars, and they turned it into Venom. Like that's cool. Yes, that, that is ridiculously cool. That sort of thing. Like it. That was that was smart. It's funny though. Did you know they they kind of tried to repeat the idea? How so? Um, did you have you finished Secret Wars? Yeah. Yes. So you know the ends. Iron Man also gets some armor upgrades. Yes. His armor upgrades end up in Project Pegasus, and they form together and create another alien. Costume type oh, thing, okay. and Quasar fights it, and it just happened once. I don't, I don't think you ever see it again. Ah, like, yeah, Venom worked. That looks like 
a robot cat. Yeah, and it's good for a one time. That's terrifying nobody. It, yeah, it's good for that one time thing. You use it that yeah. one time and it's cool. So when it makes a cameo one day and they turn it into a toy, it's like that's that's a cool little hidden gem, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I like that sort of thing and I try to read stuff. Like I, I recently read Steve Englehart's Batman uh, stuff. Oh. He didn't do much. But you can really Is it with Marshall see, Rogers? The stuff you do, it's like six issues with Marshall Rogers. Was oh, that it? It's not much, but it was oh. supremely impactful to what became the animated series. Um, there's so many little things in that he did there, things he references, little dialogue moments that you can you can see in um, the 1989 Batman movie. Like you see the influences of stuff. And I'm like, man, he didn't get a long stretch on here, but he did some cool things. And then when he revisits the character, like he did a couple mini series, one shots here and there. He revisits the character in a series called Dark Detective, which is another five or six issues. There's a lot of groundwork there for the Dark Knight. Is there? Really? And he, when and was that? 2005, I think just after Batman Begins. So I don't know if it's coincidental, if there are ideas in the air that everyone's kind of drawing from, but he gave Bruce um, his first real love affair with Silver St. Cloud. And it's kind of this, I don't know why it was so impactful, but it was. It's very strange. So I'm not even familiar with, her, with who she is as a character. Yeah, she's, she's this love interest that a lot of people refer to and, and kind of use as a, here's why Bruce Wayne could fall in love. Here's why he could get to the point where, like the Andrea Beaumonts or the Vicky Vales that are kind of her archetype. It's always like this Silver St. Cloud character. And even later on with Selena Kyle, right? It's just sort of this... I don't know what happened with those issues that just connected with people and with other people who followed it. It's interesting. It's worth a read. Okay, I did want to check it out. Um, I just forgot, or else, or else you got to you got to get it, and all of a sudden it's going for like stupid money. I got the um, a while ago. Oh, where is it, man? I got the Tales of the Batman. No, what was it? Yeah, that's Clank it. Nuts. It tells the so it tells about J.H. Williams one, which is nice. Yeah. But there was also a Michael Golden one. Yeah. Oh, Legends of the Dark Knight, Michael Golden. Yeah, they got this. They've got Legends of the Dark Knight. They got Tales of the Batman. Um, They're different. They've packaged them in these different formats that they started off consistent and then they changed them again. I don't. It's a weird packaging that they do, but they're nice collections. They are nice. I have the one from Len Wein that um, I'm looking forward to reading. It was the one that introduces Catwoman as Selina Kyle because she'd been away, like out of the comics for a bit, apparently. So ah. he was the the guy who brought her in. That Selina dates Bruce, and then he, at nighttime he's teaming oh up with Catwoman. Apparently, that was his big contribution to that run, as well as Lucius Fox. Like he puts a lot of really cool things into the Batman universe that are still referenced till to this, to this day. Like he, Batman's one of those characters pre-crisis, he's got some good stuff. 
Yeah, that's the thing. I'm not that familiar with the with that pre-crisis stuff. And that Michael Golden, I, I assumed it was around the crisis time. It's not. It's like late seventies, early eighties. Wow. And I've not really read much of that, so I'm really intrigued to read it. But I've had it for about five years, and I'm not ready yet. I know. I know. But I love Michael Golden. He was an interesting guy to meet, Michael Golden. Did I oh, yeah. so he looks like he's going to be really shy. It's funny because he was. We were at this small con here in Ontario. We're in Canada. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Hamilton. It's a city. It's kind of like no. Yeah, it's it's an armpit of Ontario. That's what I said. <laughs> Anyways, shout out to Hamilton. Anybody from there? Woo, Hamilton. Whatever. Uh, but it was at this this small con. We got in as press. It was kind of like our first time being able to get in based off of the fact we have a podcast. And so we, we asked them for an interview. We're like, you know, we're here. We're podcasters. Could we? And so before we had asked, he's giving us all these little insider information about, you know, jobs he had and things he designed. and All like, oh, that's cool. Inside baseball stuff. Right. And we said, you know, and he worked. He did radio commercials. He did voiceovers for radio commercials. Wow. Yeah. Like he was a, a, like almost a voice actor. She's telling us all this cool stuff that we never would have. I didn't know much about Michael Golden anyways, except some of the things that he had done comic-wise and yeah. uh, Star Wars related. And then when we turn on the... So he's so gregarious, so interesting. We're like, this is going to be easy. We turn on the, the, the recorder and we ask him questions and he's the dullest. He's like pulling teeth. And we bring up the stuff that he, was interesting. Like he's telling us stories that he's engaged in. Like, let's share that story on the podcast because he likes to talk about it so he said you know he did some work with star wars you know what what are some of the contributions that your art designs brought to the universe nah, 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 nah. don't really like working for star wars but you spent 20 minutes talking about star wars ah, i felt like it was a prank we were me and my buddy were looking at each other like was he making it up i don't and know and then he's like he's rumbled <laughs> i don't know now I, oh no I think I think my my buddy Martin has the episode up on his uh, podcast, the Fastball Special. I think it's there, and you'll see. Like maybe it's interesting still if you're a Michael Golden fan, but he was way more interesting than what was recorded there. It was painful. I'm like, man, that was like a dirty trick. What a Aww. jerk! But maybe he was he was doing it as a prank, and if if so, good for him. He had a little bit of fun. <laughs> It's funny though, because actually, I was talking to. So I spoke to uh, Scrooby's Pip. I don't know if I mentioned this for example. I spoke to Scrooby's Pip, the, the hip hop, UK hip hop artist, who's now more actor than hip hop artist. But he, um, he's had a few. He has his own podcast here or everywhere in theory. But he has all sorts of guests. He's had Charlie Brooker, and he's had Corey Taylor from Slipknot, and he's had. A number of actors and musicians and all sorts, but he's also a comic fan, and he's had a number of people on, like uh, Garth Ennis. He's had Warren Ellis, Alan Moore. Um, wow! Yeah, all these people. And I, I actually, despite whatever I think of some of Alan Moore's stuff, I love interviews with Alan Moore. I find him like a really interesting person. Um, but yeah, and I was saying to him it was this thing where you just contribute to charity and then you, you get to talk to Pip for 10 minutes. I'm it's like, I love this stuff. So like, this is 
insane. So I'm just chatting to him. So like, are you thinking about having any more comic creators on your on your thing? He's like, oh, I'm not really sure because like some people they, they like to work behind the scenes. So you know, it's not necessarily that people are used to dealing with you know live media, as it were. Um, it's a very different thing to even like a, a magazine interview. But like, it makes me think that like Michael Golden as an interview <laughs> must have been like pulling teeth. Man, it try was... and get something out of them. Yes, I mean, but some, you... some are really lively though, because you've had plenty of guests on that could happily chat away. And because when Jim Zub was on, that was really—he sounded like just a really upbeat, up-tempo guy, and it was fun to listen to. Yeah, and he—he's always like that. Like those are the guys that you just like talking to, because I haven't read that much Jim Zub stuff. I read the most preparing for that conversation, just because. I had bought some of his books that were, you know, nicely collected. I, I bought yeah. his um, Avengers uh, No Surrender. Like when he has the stuff. Yeah, he yeah. did it with Mark Wade and Al Ewing. And it was, um, he's always such a pleasant guy to, to see. He's always at our show because he's from here. Right? Of course, yeah. So he's he's like a local guy that you've seen become a, like a superstar in a lot of ways, writing on major books. And. In a weird way, like, I'm, I can never say I've been a fan, but I've always been linked to him somehow. I lost my wedding ring at a panel that what? he, I, that he, that I went to see him talk about, like, writing and being, you know, getting your create, how to get your storytelling out, even if there's writer's block, something to that effect. Yeah. And I was putting cream on my hands. This is a very weird story to tell on this episode. <laughs> I was putting cream on my hands, right? Just after, just, after, just after a long day, right? Some little hand sanitizer because you're at a con. Put a little moisturizer. And I guess I took my, my wedding ring off. And he's on stage telling a story about proposing to his girlfriend. So he's telling the story about a ring and I lost my ring there. It was always weird to me that my engagements with him have always... It's been like some odd connection. Very Every weird, time. yeah, because even before when he was just like um, a very local publisher when he had just Skull Kickers out, uh-huh. I bought it from him just because I thought he was nice. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, you know what, I, I, I'll support you. Like you're friendly, you're, you're being nice to everyone who walks by you, all of these little things that I'm just like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a volume one. And he signed it to me and I didn't care about Dungeons and Dragons or any of that crap. I said, I'll give this guy... I didn't. I did it off the strength that I thought he was nice. I would do the same. Yeah. That would that would convince me if they were just being nice. That's why the thing is like, like if when I hear an interview with people that I like and they're a dick in the interview, like, I don't want to buy any one of their books. Yeah, it's true. There's been times where I'm like, I don't want to... I'm kind of sick of this guy. Or, or this gal. There are times I'm like, I don't... I like their old stuff, but anything uh, they're doing now, it's like, nah, not for me. And and I hate doing that, because it's like, you're just you know, sometimes cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. Let's read the story. It might be really good. Who cares? I want to read Skull Kickers now. I'm really intrigued So what it's like. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of fun. And he's... This cake is so short. And he's a good storyteller, period. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I loved his Dungeons and Dragons. 
Oh, that's it's cool. just it's just really nice. Why do I keep looking in here like I'm going to find it? Um, <laughs> oh, packet of crisps. Um, yeah, I just I liked it. I liked the way you, know, you could tell he was a fan of of it, and he managed. And you know, for a lot of it as well, it kind of helps you understand when people are turning their Dungeons and Dragons games into stories, other stories. Yeah, whatever game they're playing, and they're t- they're using that as a basis because that is what that is. It's designed to create stories rather than just play a game. Um, so yeah, that kind of helped give me a bit of an understanding of what that whole thing was about. But it was it still just feels like a fun read, regardless. You know, even if you don't want to get into it or you don't understand that side of it. That was the thing, and and yeah. I always have that sort of bias to a writer like him like i'm not going to read something that might be mind-blowing philosophy wise from him but you yeah like when i read wayward the the attention to detail that is put into it as far as the settings and being drawn in literal places in japan like that's something to look to, to, to enjoy but even the uh mythology like the care that he took in knowing the Japanese mythology that at the back of the book there's all of these little essays and little history things to give the like weightiness to the what's like man he cared yeah I, I appreciate that sort of enthusiasm because it's yeah. a lot it's a lot of work to do that and to what's well, all the stuff your... you don't see yeah it's, it's the wireframe that makes it all up right you know and I think people forget that that's a thing of it like it's like when people you know, when I work in design and people go, I want a poster. They just kind of figure you get, or a logo and they kind of think you just go, oh, you want a logo? Uh, so there's your logo. <laughs> and it's just, that's just not how it works. So even that minor bit, you start to dissect what it is, the, the origins of the thing, what the thing makes you feel and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. That's just one logo. If you're creating an entire world, mm. imagine the depth of the notes that you'll no one will probably ever read them that you probably shouldn't read them it's, it's interesting when you when you get a collector's edition that that does include those notes but i think a lot of the time i don't i'm happy to see the sketches but i don't want to necessarily see all the iterations because that's i don't need to see the prototype i want to see the end product yeah and that's enough for me unless yeah. i really really want to pick it apart like like with direct um what do you call it directors the voiceover what do, what do you call it commentary director's commentary right 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 i don't necessarily unless i really really love a film right i'm not going to listen to that i did did listen to it with donnie darko because i got i was obsessed with donnie darko for a long time what's the movie that you've seen the most you asked me it would either be donnie darko or no it's not i've never seen donnie darko you what never seen it oh i don't it's really hard because i can't recommend it I think it's one of those things that either resonates with you or it doesn't. When it did, I walked out of the cinema and I felt slightly exhausted. Something hit me emotionally right in the right in the middle. Um, the director's cool. cut is terrible. It's the director's cut is horrible. That they re-edited it so much. The soundtrack is different. The meaning of the film is different. The original cut, like it, there were so many bits that didn't go to plan, and he had to do something else. I think that was fate, but it it stuck with me, and I've got. Donnie Darko tattoos and all sorts. Um, but the, in, in the director's commentary, he actually says that Frank the Rabbit, 
which might make sense if you've seen it. There's Frank, Frank the Rabbit's one of the characters. He said he wanted Christopher Walken to play him, and then Jake Gyllenhaal starts doing an impression of Christopher Walken that is so spot on. He's like, hey, Donnie, you're a rabbit, and you're gonna die. But it's it's perfect, not like that crap. It's perfect, and you go like, oh my god, I kind of wish they'd had Christopher Walken in it now. Um, but no, in answer to your question, I think the film that I've watched the most is The Big Lebowski. I've seen that so many times. I but I like the way it's constructed. It. I just watched it for the first time. Did you? A couple weeks ago. Yeah. What did you think? I enjoyed it. Yeah? I enjoyed it. I, I didn't... Um, I... I uh, what's the word? I loved John Goodman's character. I loved yeah. any time he was on the screen. I could see it being better and better the more you the more you watch it. Yes. And it was enough just in a first viewing where I said, I, "Yeah, I like that. That's good. That's good stuff." It's, but it's weird. That, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's funny as well because like, when you start to watch it again and again, you, I I was just fascinated with how they'd written it because like it's the overlapping dialogue and the stuff where they're like talking over each other. And like, like, what's what's? what's it? I'm the walrus. I'm the walrus. Just shut the fuck up, darling. <laughs> yeah, all the and it's just like, how have they put that together? How much that is improvised? Apparently, it's, it's not. It's very meticulously assembled. Yeah. Um, and even that, I think, it's just fascinating to know how they would have put it together. Because I think between that and a brother where art thou, which is also because that's an interesting one for. I think that's probably like my second most watched. But that was mostly based to. Uh, created to put really old school country music back out there you know the, the original country music push back like i have a country album and it is that one it is that soundtrack and it's funny because i think my sister came in to visit once and the door was unlocked she wandered in and it's playing this down to the river to pray song and she was going what's going on have you <laughs> this isn't you what's are you okay ah. it's from a film soundtrack god uh. She was worried that you'd you'd cut the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> we were both raised Catholic, and I, I, you know, I moved away from that when I was about seventeen. Mm. I was an altar boy because it was an altar boy then, and now it's altar service. But I was an altar boy. I was in charge of the altar boys. Wow. Um, yeah, I was an MC. Yeah, hey. <laughs> in a totally different way to the way you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, interesting. That's funny that it it concerned her. It's it's. It's funny the things when you become adults where you look at your friends or your family and you, and and the things that will make or break not a relationship but just like what's going on? Is everything okay? Are you having a breakdown? And that's funny that it was that music. <laughs> yeah. That was enough. I think that was like a symbol that something was something was going seriously wrong. Like, no, I just really like this film soundtrack. Who would you say is the Cohen brothers of like comic book scripting? Oh, oh, we should do like a whole thing. Yeah, we should. <laughs> who would be who? God, that's really. Do you know? Oh no, no, I'm not going to say that. I don't know the Cohen brothers well enough. I'm ashamed to say I've I've only seen a few films from them, maybe two or three, and I get why people love them. So I'd like to see more. Yeah, there. It's a weird selection box of stuff. And I think um, you got to be in the right mood. Yeah. To take some of them in, you got to know what you're getting yourself. Like almost like a Quentin Tarantino. I I never 
just throw that on when I don't know what to watch. I have to want to watch it. Oh, I don't know. I do with Kill Bill. Kill Bill pleases me ridiculously. Kill Bill, it is Kill so Bill can do and, it. Yeah, Kill Bill yeah. can do it. And there's an opening fight scene. That fight scene is one of my favorite fight scenes in any film. With her and... and Vivica Fox. Vivica Fox. Yes. It's so good. And it just... It just you feel like you're being gently like bam bam bam. <laughs> yeah. It's happening. Okay, we're in. We're in. And it's I love it. I love it. And I know some people think it's really pretentious the way it cuts around and changes styles, but like I think it's great and it comes together well. Um, really well. But yeah, otherwise I think the thing with the Coen Brothers stuff is is that it's they're so it's almost like you need to be in a completely different mood per film. Right. That's, that's so I don't know how you second guess it. I've had a well, I've had one of those the the Oscar Isaac Oscar Isaac one. I can't remember the name of it, but I bought it to try and encourage myself to watch it, and I've had it for six years, I think. Wow, wow. Um, so I just I didn't want to be in the right mindset, <laughs> so it's sat there waiting for me. I'm. I don't know if it's strange, but I feel very similar to what I read when I read. I, I put things off and, and sometimes like something I buy, I can't wait to read it next year. Like I've, I've literally <laughs> bought stuff like that saying like next yeah. November, I'm buying it now because it's the cheapest to get it and it's yeah. there. Like I have, to, I can't not now do it. Now is the it. time. Yeah. But I know that when I, when I'm in that right frame of mind, it'll make me enjoy it more because if I just read it for the sake of, ah, let me just whatever get you know give this a, sometimes that works sometimes that but yeah. the creature my friend shane who's been on the show plenty of times good buddy um he's like just read it like why who, like why just read it why you got to be in a mood i said because i want it to resonate i want it to connect if yeah. i'm if i'm in a if i've just finished reading scott snyder justice league um you know I want something better than that, and I'm not going to jump to preacher. It'll be too jarring, maybe. It depends. I think it depends. Sometimes you might want a bit of jarring. Yes, it depends. Exactly. But I, I like that whole thing of it's like when you go in, <clears throat> you go to the pick a mix. You yeah. can either go for the thing that you know is going to taste right and you like it, or you're going to go today. I just fancy this, right? And that's how I kind of think you should be. Yeah, go with what you what you're feeling right now. And I, I treat books the same way. I, I read something is killing the children recently, and I was going to put it off for longer because I wanted the hype to move by first, because everyone is talking about yeah. how incredible it is. And I read the equivalent of the first trade, and it was good. I read the second two volumes, the equivalent of the second two volumes, and yeah, they're a lot better. But I think there are other good. There are much better series out there, and I think James Tinyan Tinyan has done way better stuff than than that but it's what it's again it's like a very popular thing to say i've read this it's an indie book no one knows what i'm talking about it's excellent yeah i know i know all about it <clears throat> so i right. like to kind of wait but i didn't i was thinking like i want i want to i want to read this and i kind of wish i'd sat on it a bit longer because i was reading it very judgmentally right you're reading it with that that sort of the crit the critic's eye yeah like this is so good right let's so good there's nothing wrong with it i'll i'll find uh, something you know you kind of i get it yeah and and in order sometimes i i found i used to do that with music a lot like i me and my friend would listen to albums because we loved 
the portion of the magazines we collected where they would do record reviews. That was the yeah. best, right? Just seeing like how many stars, how many full records or mics we used to call them. It was a Source magazine. They had these these uh, icon of the Source was a microphone being well, held like by a fist. No, just a fist holding oh. the mic, like gripping it tight. So if you've got five of them in a record review, your album was automatically in the pantheon of greatness. It was the big. It was one of the most sought after things in hip hop in the '90s. Is if you got five mics, so much so that artists would refer to it in their songs. You'll if if you listen to certain popular hip hop songs, you'll you'll catch it. Now that I told you, like even Outkast had mentioned it in the lyrics. How do they refer to it? Their first album got four and a half. Yeah. And so it was later, you know, viewed as a classic. Like it should have gotten it, but they did. They the, the record review was wrong. They should change that. So Big Boy from Outkast says it in a verse like, I need to hit the source and get my other half a mic because that Southern playlisted Cadillac music was a classic. Like he oh. actually re- references it, but he says it very, very fast. And yeah, it's like a badge of honor to, to have oh. had that. So when we were kids, we would listen to albums with the where does the how is it losing portions of the classic rating? Yeah, you know, and and where would it? What would we give it? And yeah. why? I love doing stuff like. But when you read stuff like that, even if it's good, you can acknowledge, yeah, that's good. It's good, but. Blah, 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 you know, kind of ruin it for yourself instead of enjoying it in the moment. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's funny, I had that with Sentient as well, because I, I gave Sentient, I wasn't, I know there was hype about Sentient, but it wasn't to that same degree, the Jeff Lemire series. And I, I read it, it not expecting much. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so fantastically atmospheric and it sucked me in. And I was going to just read one issue that night and I read all six. It was, I was straight in, loved it. And then I gave it five stars. Cause it's like, this is, because for me, the five stars isn't saying this is the pinnacle of all things. It's like, that's not it. I'm saying it's a level of excitement and appeal and it's hitting me somewhere. It's not even about, yes, this is excellent art and, and uh, you know, wonderful yeah. storytelling. <laughs> uh, yes, it's, it's an absolute pinnacle of all things. Shakespeare himself would be proud. It's not, it's nothing like, that it's just it's it's hit me somehow and then someone else read it and they went you gave it five stars i just didn't agree like i didn't think i didn't think it deserves five stars that was it's not about it deserving five stars it's just it didn't hit you the same way it hit me yeah yeah and and there's different reasons why certain things connect with us and i do think like the atmosphere and the mood and all of that sort of thing will affect your ability to take like i when i go away somewhere where it's going to be really uh, warm and happy and you know this is relaxation time and the sky is blue i want to read superhero things like colorful Uh, i want the colors around me to stay bright i don't know if i'm gonna take the sandman to the beach (laughs) no pun intended should be right (laughs) right exactly exactly he's too pasty for the beach let's be fair right exactly so it's it's one of those things where I would probably take like Secret Wars, because I'm in that t- type of mood, like yeah. I'm, I'm about to jump in the pool and be a, a kid, so I want to yeah. 
I want those things to, and it resonates with you different than when you read it in the winter and you got to review it for a party like this is trash and look at how <laughs> contrived this is. But you've, you've had that with journeys to work. So this morning, my journey to work, I brought two books, one for on the way in, one for on the way home. It turns out I'd read Night, that volume of Nightwing before, so I was devastated. So I ended up reading some of some guilty pleasure stuff that actually, even when I read it, I go, why do I, why is this a guilty pleasure for me? It's terrible. But it's Jeff Loeb's Hulk. And I'm reading it partly for the, for the blog, which I'm trying to get back on. I'm just like, there's just been a lot going on. So I'm just taking it easy. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to read some of that, but on the way in it's, I'm trying, I left the house at like 6am. It's early. I don't have to think Jeff Loeb's Hulk. Boom. On the way home, um, they called us Enemy by George Takai or George Takei. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my journey home book because by then I'm fine. <laughs> I can deal with that kind of more serious time. Right. right. And that's the thing. It's like different times of the day is a different thing and where you are and what mindset you're in. And Completely. just, so just come in. Oh, you really need to read this book and you need to read it now. Right. Now isn't the time. It's not going to do the book any justice. Right. Yeah, that I I got back into Batman. I haven't read Batman in so long because I just got tired of him. I'm just yeah. like, it's just too much. Every little thing is Batman. Yeah. Something else, please. Even the events, he's always the centerpiece. I'm like, he's, yeah. he's, he's not becoming as interesting as you think. He's becoming more whatever you think whatever the reason you think people don't like Superman you're making it for Batman that's what it became like let me guess you've got a Joker story you have to tell right everyone's got the the Joker story and it's like ah. the Joker war the jokes of wars and riddles and the three Jokers and the ugh, we get it uh, that was the problem with, with metal for me was that it's too Batman centric not just all the Batman but this is all kind of Batman's fault as well. It's like, but then he won't admit it, and he's going to have to solve. It's too, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, it's too much. He's just some dude in a bat costume. Right. Chill. Let's can can he be a detective again? Like Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. Could, like those are the best versions of him. Yeah. Really. They, when you keep it local. So what made you go back? What made you pick up Snyder? Was it just like uh, I'm just going to kind of palate cleanse? Um. Definitely the movie that right. had come out which I really enjoyed I thought they did a good job I was surprised pleasantly surprised by it and it made me like yeah you know I miss this character it came to me it was like I, I want to spend a little bit of time with this character again and, and see see why I liked him so much to begin with like I it's, my podcast name is half inspired by Batman right? I was thinking about making it just a strictly Superman Batman podcast once upon yeah. a time um, so I said yeah let me pull out this omnibus and give this thing a read because when I had read it it was actually one of the books that brought me back into comics and I heard more about it through podcasts it's when I fell in love with listening to podcasts. I was listening to Snyder and Capullo on Fat Man on Batman from Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. I remember you saying, actually. I still haven't listened to that. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, those episodes are available, but the breakdown oh, yeah. and the excitement and the, the the depth of the story, I'm like, I got I to gotta catch up. I've been out of this. There's so much to read. 
and when I started buying the single issues was during uh, zero year and right. I was I liked the way that knowing that they had to relaunch the universe in a way with New 52 the things they changed I'm like that's a cool little thing to add like the first person he saves is Bruce Wayne like that's cool I like that that's useful right and I just remember even saying to Greg Capullo like this might be the best Batman run of all time I meant it at the time reading it now not the best of all time it's good yeah it's, it's good it's good did you read Eternal though I, like, I think it. I asked you if you read it before, but I've, I can't. I read like the first twenty issues, and I just felt I couldn't keep up. I had okay. them all in singles, and I and I think I would probably benefit from reading the omnibus. I think it's better. Yeah, is it? Mm, there's a lull in the middle. Yeah, I hit the lull. But I mean, it's the same length ultimately. I think pretty much fifty-two issues, right? It's more Tinian though. Like I feel Tinian is going is is written the most Batman ever. Yeah. Well, that's why I want to. I do want to read Joker Ward stuff because it's him. Otherwise, I was going to walk away. I, I've stayed. I've bought, I haven't read them yet, but I bought them because it's him. Um, and I feel yeah, like I, I underrate him. I underrate him as a Batman writer. I'm just. I see his name always around it, and I kind of dismiss it because it was Scott Snyder's was kind of running the Batman world for a while, and then it was Tom King. And it was these big sort of you you saw why they give the the lead book to this guy because he's selling, and they were always forgetting about the Tomasi run, or uh-huh. you know the detective run that Tinian did. Like you know they're there, but it was kind of like when Jeff Johns was on Green Lantern and you had Tomasi on Green Lantern Corps. Yes, right. You you one is so good and changing things that you kind of don't realize like that's probably better yeah that's i think that's the weird thing as well with eternal is that that was somewhere in the middle and i think that gets forgotten even more than batman and robin yeah. even though it's snyder yeah i think his name was attached to it for the sales aspect of it but i think most of but it he didn't do as much as oh okay i think he like came up with the big overarching plot and story but i think because Tinian and there's a bunch of people associated with it like it was kind of like writer scripter by committee I don't know if Ray Fox is there and James Tinian well they had additional spin-off titles as well because there was a like a breakout at Arkham tie-in and some issues of Catwoman tie-in but they don't include that in the in yeah. the book so like there were a lot of people involved I think that might be where it lulled in the middle but yeah it does it gets forgotten <clears throat> that's the shame I was trying to remember what it was that he wrote that made me go it must have been it must be in my head from Eternal yeah because he also wrote some of the death metal stuff that I've chosen to forget yeah it got to a point where I think when he after the end game because he brings the Joker back and I was it was good I'm like that's a good place to let somebody else pick up the book now like you it's a good topper and then when they did the yeah. Commissioner Gordon in the rabbit suit I'm sure it was good, but I'm just I don't I don't know I don't feel like reading this. Nothing about this interested me. It looks silly, but I, I think do the silly feel appealed to me. You did? Yeah, the silly appealed to me, but I, it wasn't great. But it was I don't know. I kind of treated the main Batman title as being like this is the fun kind of mainstream. Yeah, <clears throat> you know. 
Nothing too heavy. But I, I felt like he was trying to be. That's the thing with Snyder, is that he really takes himself seriously. He really does. Does he? Yeah. And but he definitely did with Justice League. I kind of thought he was a bit more tongue-in-cheek than that, or could be. He, he seems to be taking himself more seriously now. Yeah, and even then, that was a... It's pretty well documented, but him and Capullo in the beginning used to butt heads a lot. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Because he was really trying to control and drive the car in that relationship of as far as the story. Like, do my script. Like, here's everything I need you to do. And Capullo worked with McFarlane. He's like, listen, I don't work that way, buddy. You want the best out of me, you got to let me draw. Are you going to leave yeah. it? And, and it was so dialogue heavy. And then it wasn't until I think that the issue where you got to like turn it around. That court of remember. it was a court of owls issue where he's in the maze, and and the book the the book design required you to like change the position, and it worked. But that was like Capullo's idea. He's like, just trust me. And then he realized oh. like, okay, and that's why they have such a good working relationship now. Like they're inseparable. It seems. Yeah. Because the relationship in the beginning was real rocky. But Snyder had said, he goes, I, I, you know, my stuff is, I have a problem with seeing it as too precious. And it comes off uh, like that. Yeah, it does. It's funny then, because then you get someone like um, Warren Ellis and his whole method for any artist he teams up with is to give them a call, find out what they like drawing, and then go, okay, I'm going to incorporate some of that so this is fun for you. If you're having fun, then the readers are having fun. Right. So everyone, everyone's happy. Like, that is such a good attitude. I mean, it, the thing is, I always think of comics as being the best example of a collaborative work that's not kind of hindered by too many too many cooks being involved a lot of the time. Because, you know, you get a film, you've got your scriptwriter who might get fired. There's their idea, even, potentially, the whole thing. And then they might get fired through the whole thing. And then it gets rewritten. And then it's by the end, it's not even the same thing. That's just the script, and you've got all the actors and their take on it. The director, the studio get involved. The studio decide after some test screenings, the audience don't like it. Let's completely change the ending, <laughs> you know? And then that's why you get the DC extended universe. So it doesn't yeah. always work out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. But with comics, you get you've got an artist and a and a writer for the most part. Obviously, the Inca does embellish it. The, the you know the lettering does it all brings it together but and the coloring not, brings they, it together. They don't have a, a say in the creative at that point. No, they just write what's they, there. And they at could, that they, time, yeah, they could hate what they're writing. Like this sucks, but it's I got a letter, <laughs> right? Yeah, <clears throat> I think there have been times where the ink has been involved in plotting, but it's pretty rare, right? So I mean, like, there's obviously there's editorial control to a point, especially with your Marvel and DCs. But otherwise, it's kind of either one single person doing it all, which is also fairly rare, or it's two people. Right. Here's our work. Yeah. Like it's got to be collaborative. You can't butt heads with your artists while you and and you're making a comic. <laughs> yeah, and when they're working well together, like a Wade and Somni, it just sings. There's yeah. not a lot of words on those pages, but it's no. some of it's some of the best stuff I've read. Actually, you said as well earlier on, but you were saying about the silent pages. It reminded me of that Larry 
Palmer G.I. Joe issue, mm-hmm. the silent issue where he'd written it. I don't know if that, I've heard two versions of the story. I heard that, that there wasn't time to script it, but I've also heard that he saw the artwork and just didn't script it. So the artwork was Steve Lea, Lea Loha. Oh, wow. And he just went, I, the, one of the versions is that he saw it and just went, this, this tells the story. I'm just going to let it out. There. I think it's G.I. Joe, Rimmer and Hero number 2021, 20, I think. And it's, I've read it, that's one comic I've read numerous times because it is such an easy read because there's no words, but it still stands up really well. The pacing is fantastic. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And like, they're doing another commemorative book this year to celebrate it. They do about every couple, every five years. <laughs> Let's do a big G.I. Yeah. Joe number 21 book. Like, I might give in this time around. Um, but that is just perfect storytelling with no words. Yeah. I felt like that's, I that's had that perfection. sort of... The, the artist knows when to back away. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I had that Sorry, sort of writer. experience with um, a Black Widow issue. There was still dialogue, but it was sparse. And the little nuances and, and details, attention to detail, you could hear like the spy music playing in the scene. You know? Uh-huh. It just was like, that flow was so good. I can... Some fight scenes, like, I don't get how he did that move and then went to this move next. Like, eh. But then you see stuff where the, the movement is so, like, the motion of it is, like, there's a finesse to it. Like, it's, yeah, that's really moving. Even though it's a still shot, I can see the, yeah. the motion. Frank yeah. Miller kind of had that with Daredevil. Although someone said recently, Frank Miller's fight scenes look like two drunk people falling over each other. And I've seen a few now. I can't kind of not see it. <laughs> well, n- yeah, see, I didn't. I never thought of that. But now, even when I look at Al Milgram's Avengers, I'm just looking at all the Avengers fall over. Yeah, you. literally just leaning. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, Who no. Who that there? <laughs> no, I'm never going to be able to read this fairly. <clears throat> but yeah, it was true. It's It it does change when John Buscema comes on with Tom Palmer. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful that is, stuff. That is a tough looking book. Yeah. Is it? And it's one of, I I feel like it's a run that should be giving a little bit more attention, that omnibus treatment. Because it is a a solid chunk of time and there's some pretty important stories in there. I, I think it'd be good because we we're both very much into the omnibus thing, I was I was gonna say we should do an episode that's just talking about the top five we most want to see. There are so many books out there. I know there's obvious stuff like Uncanny X-Men, Volume 5, Hello. We've got Volume 10 of Conan coming up. Yeah, that's weird. What? what? I think it's. I think it might be a licensing thing. I don't know how long they have certain printing rights. There is that, but also I don't care. I want Uncanny X-Men Volume 5, all right? <laughs> there's a lot of omnibuses that don't need to be printed. Whereas that one should be, and people will hey, buy it. Have you seen some of the stuff they got coming out this year? There's, it's been brilliant because it's saving me a fortune. Marvel are releasing some of the worst omnibus collections I've I've ever seen <laughs> in a lineup, and it's great because I'm, my wallet's just going. Thank you, thank you so much. I I'm not. There's plenty of stuff that I'm not interested in at all. But I was. Uh, I did bite on the Peter David 
Spider-Man 2099. Yeah, same. I'm, uh, that's happening. Yeah. The, the Black Panther by... Finally, Black Panther by Christopher Priest is going to start. Yeah. 2099 is coming. There's some really good stuff coming. There's, There's good There stuff. is also a ton of... What? Right. Like, it's, it's good. There should be a variety. But... Like there's not the 1961 book. It's like that's a nice idea, but I wouldn't. Yeah, touch there's it. some weird stuff. Best to stand lean. I think that's fine. Like who's looking for this? Is there? Yeah, there's some stuff that that does come out and like yeah, there might be a few, like real completists. Yeah. The ones you don't want for them. Yeah, the ones you don't want to get stuck in an elevator with at Comic Con. <laughs> like, those guys. <laughs> yeah. But, but we could probably talk about some of the stuff that I think that's coming up that I honestly well that isn't coming up I don't know why they haven't collected it yet okay there are so many books so I got or errors we got two ideas now if you have a coin of some kind we should flip it for the next episode I do okay it's coming I've got a 10p welcome to England <laughs> <laughs> 10p with her Majesty her Maj the Queen on it Okay, what's on the other side? Oh, I don't know. I've got my reading, my reading spectacles. It's a lion with a hat on. Perfect. That's how we roll here. Heads or tails. There you go. It's it, it's fitting. So okay, here we go. You pick uh, which one's going to be heads or tails. So we're going to either do top five omnibus that we want to see or that haven't been released yet. Yeah. Or top five underrated runs. I've got a third idea, but I'll save it. What's the third? What's the third? Top five guilty pleasure runs. Okay. I could, we could, why don't we do that? I think I did a guilty pleasure episode once upon, but we could, we could, there's no point. Why not do it again? So what should those two do you want? Okay. Let's do top five guilty pleasures and the, um, um, that we want to see. Yeah. You decide which heads or tails. Go ahead. All right. Heads is Omnis. Okay. Tails is the other one. Okay. I can't see. <laughs> um, I got the queen. All right. Heads. Heads, heads was heads Omnis. The yes. There you go. Okay. That's okay. the next top five. That's cool. I'm quite, I'm quite pleased because, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you look happy about it. <laughs> All right. You know, you're like, oh no, best of three, best of three. No, 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 it's good, it's good. I'm, I was excited because that was the we had one picked that we'll have for later, yeah. but now uh, it's it's one I hadn't even thought of, so it's cool. Give me okay. something to think about. All right, that's a good that's a good place to uh, end the speakeasy episode. Okay. And we'll get people excited for our next top five. Which is right. Next. All right. Thank you, good sir, Dave. Tell them where they can find and follow. And keep up with your do your doings. Um, to my doings. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that means something slightly different here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, jump on to Instagram, uh, Marvel Comics Guide, or one word, um, for my main page. If you want to see some comic reviews, over opinionated comic reviews, where I just use the word fun a lot. Um, that's on <laughs> w- WM underscore something. Uh, comic underscore reviews that's not catchy um, but yeah the Marvel Comics Guide is, is the uh, the website that gives reading orders for characters and events um, you can check that out I've also started a Patreon which I'm populating at the moment and building up towards some stuff that hopefully people might want to jump on and follow 
soon. So there's lots of things to follow. I'll just give you a load of links. That's okay. That's perfect. <laughs> like um, a shameless tart. Yeah, that's that's why you're here. Be a shameless tart. You podcast for. <laughs> um, follow us on Instagram, Cave of Solitude. Uh, Eric Anthony on Facebook, and. Rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on all the different podcast platforms. Wherever you want to find it, it's there. Rate and review us. Send us an email, caveofsolitude at outlook.com. Easy. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back soon with Dave Molyneux. <laughs>